Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and here to welcome in beautiful October. With me is Michael Kester. Michael, how is your beautiful October going? Oh, it's so good. I've got this beautiful cup of Austin local Third Coast coffee right here, warming me up. That's got on, some uh, candy corn on the fire. No, it's not how you carved. Get, we're we're going to get this eventually. <laughs> this whole eating candy corn thing. Uh, we have two fucking amazing movies today we're going to talk about talk about Nosferatu the vampire and of course the topical clown film on everyone's mind 31 available on iTunes <laughs> get that I don't know what you're laughing at uh, we're going to do the that new movie it that literally came out it, a minute that's ago. what that yeah, yeah sorry about that I get those and if you think if you think that's too fresh for double feature you just wait a few weeks um, <laughs> And then we're going to do Nosferatu the Vampire, which is actually, um, it's from the 70s, but it's by a good friend of ours, Werner Herzog, created the film. And um, the idea behind doing these two films is to do two outstandingly strong movies that are essentially remakes of incredibly important horror movies that we've never done on the show. Well, we get off on some technicalities here, sort of. I mean, with it... It's a uh, it's a made for TV two parter. So I don't know how the fuck that could uh, categorize. It's one movie. I have one DVD. And then Nosferatu the Vampire. First of all, I don't know any other movie called Nosferatu the Vampire. True. Secondly, I'm not even sure what movie this is a remake of. Because it's a remake of Nosferatu. I mean, with like almost verbatim shots. I'll argue that with you. I will argue, argue along with the filmmakers that it is a definite well, remake of the original. <laughs> yeah, but they got you know they you, these filmmakers so biased can't be listening to these filmmakers. We're gonna spoil these movies. This is just the beginning, just the beginning of the spoilers of the horror this October. It's just my favorite month to do the show. It really is. Mm -hmm. All the good, spooky fucking stuff. And that's not to say we aren't going to do horror the entire rest of the year. (laughs) It's just that we get a pass on jamming them one after another right now. We do get to do a lot more of them. Yeah. Uh, I think you and I would both be fine with doing more horror. It's just sometimes interesting movies come up and nobody... Nobody gets spooked while you're watching them. Yeah, so. I know. That's really what it is. I basically turn on every film hoping it's a horror movie right, and then walk track. away going, that was still good. If it I just, watched it, I assume it is a horror movie. Yeah, it just didn't have, it didn't have any dancing clowns. Sometimes I have to go through and find things. You know, you'll be watching a streaming service or something and looking for things by genre. And... uh you'll miss all this stuff and find that it's under action or drama or something. You go, these are all horror movies. What are you talking about? And someone has to remind me that, you know, Crank 2 is not a horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's properly categorized. Right. Yeah, it's almost like you and I just throw the term horror at any film we like. We're like, that it's, must have been a horror you know. movie. That's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we're that excited about it, it must be a genre film. And if it's a mm-hmm. genre film, I don't know what it sci-fi must be is. Saw. It must if be. If it's October, it must be Saw. <laughs> fact always the fact 
Uh, I wanted to say for, you know, we have, um, we have that Patreon and uh, maybe at the end of the show, we'll talk about what's up on the Patreon. I know it's October now. We're going to, we're going to say a thing, but I don't want to do that yet. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to jump right the fuck into it. But uh, rather than do a big, long Patreon spiel, just tell people about the show. It's October. I want people to listen to the show. I would be happy if you just, you know, some horror diehards would be into an October lineup of mm-hmm. people speaking, um, uh, I don't know, pretentiously about uh, sure. some horror films. And make sure to ask them to dive back to the uh, Soul Man It Happened Here show. That's where they should start. <laughs> don't, don't start there. <laughs> Why would you start someone there? Let's start here with it, also known as your 2017 attempt to get me to go to a movie theater. Yeah. Did I succeed? Congrats. Thank you. Congrats. Awesome. I, I went out. I saw it. I walked right up. I didn't even pre-order. I said, one ticket for 31, please. And they just stared at me. Uh-huh. And then eventually I, I did. I mumbled it and they gave me a ticket. And it was $7 and I sat in the third row of three rows. It was a great fucking time. I love yeah. going to the movie theater. I never do it. Yeah. Because as you know, I can't do things that make me happy. But it really, <laughs> it just makes me so, it's the happiest I ever am is when I'm at a movie theater seeing a movie. I just fucking love it. I've seen this movie in the theater twice. I saw it in the regular standard Alamo Draft House Theater. And then I also went ahead and saw it in your, uh, you know, one of those IMAX theaters. Oh, IMAX. Well, because I wanted to see it a second time and I figured why spend the money twice for the same experience? Why not tweak it a little bit? Yeah. Sure, so I sure. saw, you know, like the scene when he comes out of the projector and he's like eight times the size of a child. Uh-huh. That clown was 50 feet tall. <laughs> right, right, right. That was pretty awesome. You got your IMAX multiplication tables out. I can see you yeah, working on that. That was pretty awesome. Man, this cuts right to an interesting uh, interesting thing for us to talk about, kind of being in the pocket of a genre here. So this is a movie you see at the Draft House. You, mm-hmm. you see it at a, a fucking midnight show. You see it with a cult audience. You see it with people who have been into it since they were kids. Well, Draft House had an all clown screening too. That's you, true. you had yes. to show up dressed as a clown. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Again, would have done that for 31, but I think the screenings were already pretty small. <laughs> so I don't know. That might have been the last time I was in a movie theater. Now that I think yeah. about it, <laughs> might have been. You got another one coming up this month, man. You're going to have to get that movie ago. pass. I, I know I'm on the movie pass. Don't you, don't you worry. They're back down to nine 99 unlimited mm-hmm. movies. I am on it. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the other place you could see it is an IMAX. We now have a horror movie that if you really want to get into the, you know, into the niche of the niche of the cult debate, people, if they're torn on it, they're, they're torn. I want to talk about this almost like stock analysis. It's like, what does this mean for our genre? We have this movie that's come out now that is financially the most successful thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know just breaking records left and right not a fucking comic book movie you know r-rated yeah i know i know and uh and genuinely scary and i think uh i did you think about that when you saw when all the it stuff is happening when all the hype's going on Mm -hmm. is there a part of your mind that kind of goes okay is this gonna do something to film well, I mean, is this going to have a broader influence? 
One of the most interesting things leading up to a movie like this is when somebody announces, hey, we're making a remake of it. And I immediately go, cool, sign me up. Tickets bought, whatever. I'll see you in two years. Mm -hmm. And then when you're leading up to opening weekend and you start, you know, talking to just random folks, like people at the cafe, people, whatever, at the, at the other movies you're going to see. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm going to see it this weekend too. And you're like, really? Ev- everyone's going to see it this weekend. Uh, Michael's at a, at a showing of like mother. It's halfway through the second act. He's like, Hey, anybody seeing it? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, you just start realizing like, Holy shit, like everyone's going to go. Yeah. And I went, you know, I got, we went preview night. So we went Thursday night, which is, you know, Thursday night at seven is the new midnight because yeah. life is essentially trash and we're all going to die. Hey, I saw this movie at 9.50 a.m. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, packed theater, all three rows. Totally enough, yeah. I just, it drives me, it drives me crazy. Here's what drives me crazy is that when a movie used to drop and like we wanted to be the first fucking people to see it, we would be like midnight. Perfect. Sign me up. We're Wait going in an and actual now, line for two hours with our friends. And now who are I'm like, Oh, I can't, I can't see it for showing. Cause I'm fucking working. I hate being old. I mean, it's not even being old. It's just that 7 PM is too early for me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, by the time I'm in the theater and it's sold out and I'm trying to buy tickets and, I'm not trying to schlob draft house like all day, but when you go on the app, you can see all the seats that are available and I'm going shit like these are the last two seats in the theater and this is a week out. Right. You start realizing, man, like this has been and you know, I just get curious. You flip through how, how many screenings down the line is there no seats? And you're like, yeah, I'm three weeks from now and people are, you know, signed up. And I went twice opening weekend because by the time you realize that something is happening, I want to throw my dollar down a second time. Twice the vote, man. Twice the vote. Yeah, exactly. So not only was it just amazing to see something that legitimately is deserving of the acclaim and the money really succeed like that, but it was just kind of exciting to feel like you were a part of it. Yeah. For me, I mean, you and I talk a lot about um, with the cinema box office, you know, voting with your dollar is really one of the most vital parts of that process. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, you know, the, the, the prerogative to withhold your money if maybe you don't care and not, that doesn't mean you don't have to see the movie, but maybe just don't go opening weekend, maybe catch it on VOD, maybe wait for Netflix if you really want to give it a fuck you. Mm-hmm. But the ability to really like see something first, you gamble, you know, the first time is a gamble for you and I, it's less of a gamble. We count cards. Every, the average human <laughs> right, being, right. the average human being will go it. People are saying such and such a thing. I'm going to gamble you and I, and, and you know, a lot of other people, we're not the only people, but a lot of people have the ability to look at who's directing it. Where do the producers come from? Where along the line did the writer drop off? Where along the lines did they get the lead actor? And we can kind of triangulate a 
moderate over under on the success level for us personally, just based on preferences. You know, it's like I always say, when I see a one sheet, everybody's admiring the fucking hero bloom. They see Thor and Hulk and oh man, it looks so pretty. And I'm like, oh yeah. Listen to that. Listen to that graphic design lingo. (laughs) And I'm I'm going, oh yeah, Hulk's on it. But meanwhile, I'm just scanning the names in that block text at the bottom. Because Mm -hmm. for me, that's that's the back of the book. Yep. I get to see the back of the book. I get to go, okay, yeah, Taika Taika Waititi. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in for that guy for sure. Um, And so the first time you go see a movie like it, it's a little bit of a gamble, but once you know, it's that fucking good, man, that second, the second time you pay for it just feels like fucking free joy. Oh yeah. You're just like 12 more dollars for another two hours of pure joy. Absolutely. Oh, I know. I know. And it's 50 feet tall this time. (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is also a big one that I really, you know, I didn't want to blow past the financial success because the part in that block that really lit up my heart a little bit that I don't think we've ever talked about is New Line Cinema. Mm -hmm. You know, this is for them to get this, for this to be their, I mean, I think the biggest thing New Line's ever done is probably Lord of the Rings. Right. You know, just in the total scope of the whole fucking thing. But we've talked about so many of their early movies and horror is not horror yeah. without, you know, without John Carpenter, Wes Craven, and New Line fucking cinema. You know, right. they are such an integral piece of bringing which aspects that came from cult and came from exploitation mm-hmm. into a movie like It that is, you know, pop fucking horror, right? Mm-hmm. That is as much, it is like what American horror story has wet dreams about being. Right. It's all designed yeah. around these gorgeous set pieces. Yeah. It acts like a fucking ride. I mean, yeah, and it plays the same way. I mean, you're I see I totally agree with you. I watch this movie and I see all of these things that have been working and trying to achieve the things that it is just I mean, checking boxes. It comes along and it does it feels organic. Yeah. But really it is, you know, this is something that you can tell is well orchestrated as mm-hmm. I don't want to say by the numbers, that's definitely too dismissive of it. But, you know, people sat here and looked at it and went, okay, how often are we doing the scares? Mm-hmm. How numerous are they? How frequently do we have a good mix? It has to be a set piece every time. It has to sure. be the one where this, the one yes, where this. Exactly. And exactly. they're all very, very different. They all rely on, you know, at the very least tweaked uh, kind of game. There's only so many ways to say boo you are saying boo every time and that's what's and what's interesting about that is again in the in the i mean i totally agree i literally just said in the car today that it is a movie where every scene is the scene where the scene where yeah totally and iconic man so iconic and it's it's this iconography that is so fascinating because it instead of I'm not going to name names of other shitty contemporary horror movies franchises, but um, when James Wan makes the conjuring and uh, (laughs) I, uh, I'm not going to edit this show, you know, that's okay. Uh, And it's just like, cool. Yeah. I've seen that. That's the same scare from your last eight movies again. (laughs) Um, 
This movie goes, if giant clown in the projection booth doesn't scare you, maybe surprise clown after she kills her dad will scare you. Sure. And if surprise clown after she kills her dad won't scare you, maybe you just need to see a young girl get splattered with blood for a solid two minutes. Yeah. I mean, the movie is a meta version of itself because the premise is such that the movie goes for what scares each individual and then nails it. Yeah. And this movie in a meta way goes, well, we're going to toy with the idea of trying to scare. We're going to try to genuinely scare each audience member at least one time. Each scare might not work for each person, but walking out of the theater, everyone should be able to name which part scared them. It's a haunted house, right? I mean, yeah. that's, it doesn't all you don't walk out of a haunted house going, well, only 90 percent of them scared me. Right. You know, it's a it's a total bag you're throwing out of all of these different things. And, you know, that's to to come back to the the stuff with New Line. I don't think I've seen them have a commercial success like this. That's, you know, a lot of their movies have been very much around icons. They're a very iconic company. But I don't think I've seen them hit a point where something has, you know, where they've nailed the full haunted house like this. Mm-hmm. And to go, it, it's because their origins are so small. You know, they started as a company that was, I think they were selling Reefer Madness was one of their first films. Or uh, the glorious film Extra we did way, way mm-hmm. back on the show. Yeah, you know, they were yeah. buying up this little, I mean, how fucking obscure are those things, right? People know what they are, which says a lot actually about New Line, mm-hmm. but they're just these weird fucking ideas, these strange little films that almost by definition don't have marketability. Mm-hmm. I feel bad going extra. That is no marketability, but it, it's kind of like when we saw it, we went, what the fuck is this? I know. And then eventually to get into Wes Craven stuff and Nightmare on Elm Street. And I feel like that was the pinnacle for them to really hit okay, we're doing slasher franchises. But a slasher franchise does not nail the zeitgeist in the way that something like it does. I mean, every time, you know, when they remake A Nightmare on Elm Street, they hope that they can get it started back in a place with the success of it. Mm -hmm. But it's just not going to bring a mass like everybody who just shows up to this thing. I mean, in my mind, there's two major general reasons that this movie is such a wild success. The first one is that this movie is hard based on the source material and not the original film. Mm. It doesn't bother with trying to pay homage to any of those actors. However, beloved all of them are in the original series. Yeah. And it also, and this is important. It also doesn't worry about betraying the Tim Curry legacy of the original series. Right. Because that's one of the, I mean, that's one of the biggest pitfalls. You know, we've talked about this on that AC episode when we did the nightmare remake is you have to own recasting an icon and Tim Curry. I mean, fuck if it weren't for Rocky horror, it might be his most widely visually recalled role. Yeah. No one's recalling the, the visual look and style of clue. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. Like in my head, I go, there's no way it is my second favorite Tim Curry role. But if I had to draw some Tim Curry pictures, that's yeah, the, exactly. That's number two, right? Yeah. Um, and so 
one of the smartest and, and simplest things it does is go, we're not trying to remake the original series. If that's where your heart is, if that's where your preferences are, if that's your nostalgia, it stays fully intact. This is a new representation of the original source material. And that allows for it to do a lot of interesting stuff. It gives it a wider playground because when you have such a huge tome of information that you can toy with, it really allows for you to not worry about um, the, it allows for you to pick and choose the scope of your film. And then I think that the, the weight of that whole thing falls on the shoulders of Bill Skarsgård to show up and, I mean, deliver the, see the thing, Tim Curry didn't necessarily know he had to deliver an icon. Yeah. Tim Curry got to show up and do a thing and then walk away going, people are going to remember that forever. Bill Skarsgård knows the capacity of the role. It'd be like if you told Robert England, Freddy Krueger will be around hundreds of years after you die. Yeah. Anyway, uh, would you like to do the film? Oof. The weight of knowing that your icon will far surpass not only you, but your grandchildren's children to tell Bill Skarsgård, Hey, just so you know, this role has the capacity to be a forever role. You may well define your entire career in these next four weeks while we're shooting. So just make sure, you know, you keep that in mind with this entire fucking performance. Also, everybody really likes the original performance. So try not to like, yeah, yeah, wreck this. You know for what us. it reminds me a lot of, especially in the pop arena, is Heath Ledger and the Joker. Totally. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's here is here is this household name, uh, even more so I think than Tim Curry, right? Mm-hmm. And an iconic performance and a well-regarded film that people love to go back to, mm-hmm. and it started something, and you're going to redo it all, make it uniquely mm-hmm. yours. And go. Yep. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. that's such a hard And also it's modern times. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing that's tricky with it is that you go and you're gonna come back for a sequel. So hope that's not too much weight mm-hmm. on you. Right. You know, so to do something unique with it and something that people will remember and put in just enough. I mean, I remember when the Dark Knight came out and people were talking about like all the lip smacking and all of the little like mm-hmm. the in your face things. And at the time, some people were blown away by Heath Ledger and some people said it's just a lot of lip smacking. But here we are the better part of a fucking decade later and people remember the role. Mm-hmm. And I think you see the same thing with it. You see a lot of these very deliberate choices in what he does. Absolutely. And it's going to be something that sticks. I really feel like it's going to be something that sticks. The other thing that I think is so important about his Pennywise, because his fucking Pennywise is so good, dude. Mm. And I know I keep mentioning the scene with the projector, but that's because that's my personal terrify moment. That's, that's the yours. moment where yeah, I wanted yeah, yeah. to run out of the theater and I went, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Ooh, that library one fucking got me. The library, that's Hannah's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> just all of the, all the stuff with the, the, when people don't move the way they're supposed to move, yeah, that fucks with me. <laughs> and I think especially from a technical angle of just, I look for a lot of that when I work on things, mm-hmm. try and make it like frame rates have to line up and just my, the engineering part of my brain tries to identify when things aren't 
tries to notice any uncanny valley, anything that could right, lead there. Right. And so when you deliberately lean into that, mm-hmm. ah, well, I don't like it at all. And that's, I think, also one of the other major achievements of this movie and a major contrast to the, the next film we're going to talk about is that if you had told me before I went into the movie theater, if I went, so, I mean, give me a percentage here, how much of this is going to have CG? And you came out and you're like about 80% of the scenes with Pennywise will have CG. And then furthermore, you're going to really like it. Yeah. Yeah. And then they do these, they do these things that, I mean, I've already seen wrecked in following films, newer films, but really simple things like, um, image stabilization on the wrong aspect. Oh, totally. Just going, oh, absolutely. His face never moves. Everything yeah. else around him fucking moves. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, 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 no. I do not accept this uh-huh. physical world in which this clown lives. I mean, just different. The This film really proved to me that CGI can be an enhancement tool and not a crutch. Because if you have, I mean, there's no way, there's no, it takes no convincing to believe that they had a scary thing with just Bill Skarsgård being Pennywise. Yeah. That's terrifying. And the fact that they were brave enough to go ahead and go, but what if we turned on a little bit of the, you know, the enhancement here (laughs) and just really ripped it out of the realm of reality and made people really uncomfortable with some of these motions. Get away. We're not talking about a fucking dogma 95 movie. That's the next movie, you know? Right. We're talking about a movie that plays like a, a wild ride and Mm -hmm. to do that and to, you know, to really almost break the fourth wall and the scares. Right. And the way you go see this, you know, these different things are scary because of how they're edited and how we play with time and how we play with stabilization mm-hmm. and how, you know, it's almost like, uh, remember when everybody was using the fucking snore cam for like the first three years of our show? Yes. All we did is talk about movies where they attach cameras to people's faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, I don't know. I don't know what the hell was going on for that couple of years. I haven't seen that done in a long time. When's the last time you saw a snore cam? I see it every once in a while, but it's usually really effective now. I think people have learned exactly when to use it. Yeah. Just like someone realized you could do that. And it was, you know, it was the invention of stereo panning or auto tune Mm -hmm. all of a fucking sudden. But here, all of those little tricks are used because I think the, the destination is scare the audience. It is okay. If we're going to help you identify with these kids, we need you to be scared too. Yeah, if we have which, to reach these kids, which is just the most honest thing I think it can do mm-hmm. is, is just to go, all right, well, we're talking about the, one of the great things about it is just the purity of it. It's mm-hmm. not a movie that's, uh, it doesn't feel like it's out to prove anything. It really doesn't. No, it's a movie about being scary. You know, mm-hmm. it's a movie about conquering fucking fear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so, it's such a, and Stephen King is so the perfect storyteller yeah. for that. Yeah. It's just like, I'm writing a scary book. What's it about? Uh, being a kid, being scared, you know? Yeah. You <laughs> like, ever been that? Well, I guess, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. It's, it's for mean, you. It, the heaviest I think you can really get into it is it's about like surviving adolescence, mm. you know, and, and what mm-hmm. grows out of that actually in the, in getting to the second chapter of it. But it's about conquering fear in that you have to get through these awful experiences as you grow up 
whether that's, I mean, I think I think they go through it with all nine of the goddamn protagonists in this movie. What are there, six kids or something? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Seven. There's the seven of, kids, yeah. The amount of fucking kids in this movie. But, you know, talking about not necessarily needing to, I don't want to say overcome, but they're not needing to achieve any results. They defeat the thing by surviving the thing. They don't need to, um, I mean, you really, you look at the, the overcoming plot of almost any other film. It tends to be, we have to reverse this thing. We have to turn around this thing. We have to, you know, write this wrong. And this is just, listen, if you can make it to being older, everything will be fine. Just survive through the nights, you know, which is such a horror thing, which is such a haunted house thing. It's just, if you can get to 20 minutes from now, you'll be okay. And they get to talk, it, it almost reminds me of that uh, it's, It Gets Better campaign, mm-hmm. which I actually don't even know if I fucking agree with. <laughs> but it's just this kind of like, yeah, being a kid sucks. We're going to talk about bullying. We're going to talk about being awkward. We're going to talk about a uh, cycle of abuse is a huge one in this movie. You know, everybody's got these issues with their parents. And it's just a matter of, yeah, but just fucking get through that and come out the other side. And hopefully everything will be fine. And in 27 years, nobody will fuck with you. We'll see how that... Right. We'll see how that goes next time we visit 31. It. Next time we visit it. So Werner Herzog believes that F.W. Murnau made the greatest German film of all time. And it's a film called Nosferatu. And one of the most important things about the original film Nosferatu comparing to this film is that that film actually was created in a time when the rights to Dracula were secured. Mm-hmm. And so they had to change the name and they had to change a lot of the, you know, the names and names and uh, details of the event were changed for the protection of the people who made the film. So funny. Nosferatu is what the early twenties or something, right? Yes. Yeah. So basically we invent film and then we look around and go, can we steal copyrights though? Yeah. It's like the first, it's like first thing you do is print porn. Then you print the Bible. Then you try and steal someone's copyright. Anytime <laughs> you create a new invention, those are, the, that's the lineup you have. But so yeah, that was infam- I don't remember what happened with that case. They got either. hella sued. They got oh, way they? sued. So they yeah, lost. whatever the version of of <laughs> lawsuits were in Germany in 1920. So like beheaded or some shit. That I don't know. Sucks too because Nosferatu yeah. is not Dracula. No, it's Nosferatu. But it is Dracula, and Werner Herzog knew that, which is why now that the you know in the 70s when the licensing had expired, uh, fucking Klaus Kinski opens the door and he's like, "Sup, I'm Dracula." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know that's why I was giving you crap at the top of the show about that. Yeah, because it's a it's a much more faithful Dracula remake than uh, a a faithful adaptation of what ended up being you know, the ind- individual things that were in Nosferatu. Yeah. There's obviously a lot that I mean, is it's like almost super, verbatim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's there, just longer. <laughs> well, yeah. But I mean, I think, I think reincorporating the Dracula elements, that's the sure. very thing that Nosferatu was not. That's so true. I feel no, you're like, right. you're you know, totally, totally true. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it's basically, it's the whole time going, Hey, yeah, Nosferatu couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. We can do this. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too, because as a test case, that should have set, I mean, if we were doing the show back in the 20s, which I would love to do a rendition of our show from the early 1920s. Right. Oh, just set it, we'll set it up for an AC. That'd be hilarious. We'll do a bunch of 20s movies. We'll do like some fucking 
the dude who did birth of a nation and uh we'll we'll just do like his filmography and talk we'll do a whole 20s we'll get some shitty microphones we'll talk through tin cans check get some click clop sound effects yeah you mean we'll get slightly better microphones (laughs) (laughs) transmit to some analog equipment no but i mean you know we would be talking on that show about what a dangerous precedent this sets on what you Mm -hmm. can and can't take from movies and then I feel like it would only get way more laxed from there. Because since they couldn't make Dracula, they made, a, they didn't make Dracula. They made no. a thing where... That ended up being the definitive vampire movie. Well, that's what I mean is, you know, that's like saying... You know, they that, did for vampires what it did for uh, killer, scare, or killer clowns. Killer scarecrows. Killer Malcolm McDowell. Really, you can rent this movie on iTunes. 31, you go in there. It might be on sale. I'm just saying it's a good time to go look at it. It's a good time. I heard it's a good movie on our show this time last year. But I was thinking Romero, you know, as mm-hmm. much as you look at Romero and go, oh, so we could, we could take the very creature, uh, not even in name only, but actually assign it a name and do exactly that. And then is there anything we can't do? to be sued by Romero because it literally seemed like we could just remake that movie had its own copyright problems right but you could just blatantly steal from Romero Mm -hmm. you can actually take his movie and put it on in front of the characters in your movie and do a single shot for an hour and a half and they could watch it and it's fine Mm -hmm. whereas Nosferatu was like oh a thing that sucks blood in the night and turns into a bat you're getting sued Mm -hmm. and that seems ridiculous to me today Right. So when, uh, what language was the film that you watched? Oh, I watched the English one. You watched the English one. Okay. Yeah, I yeah, own not, both. I, yeah. I love, yeah. They, they did basically Spanish Dracula, but in German, right? Was well, it in German? Yeah. Original. Well, there's, so, you know, they shot it. You've heard this, right? Yes. Werner Herzog shot each, each scene with dialogue was actually filmed twice because all the actors can speak English. So, so they would reshoot these scenes in order to be more appealing to an American audience. Because as we all know, the one thing Americans don't want to do in a movie is read. It's an interesting thought to me because it's basically, you know, it begs the, the same question that funny games begs, which is how much of the movie is the same if you simply change the language. And, you know, Werner Herzog has claimed that the German one is more authentic, but of course he would. Right. Because right, right. he's fucking German. That's so, how you know you have imposter Herzog when yeah. he's like, oh, they're both pretty good. I made them. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not the real Herzog. Right. Yeah. That would it. be the test. That would be the test in, in a, in an invasion of the body snatchers like scenario. When you come across Werner Herzog, you go, which Nosferatu that you made is, uh, is the English or German one more, more, or, or um, there's just two realities much like Nosferatu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I referenced that th- it's, it's so fucking fitting because when, Universal did Dracula. They filmed the normal English version, and then they also just decided to make it in Spanish. So mm-hmm. they filmed Mexican oh, is Dracula. Oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it just another thing that's a really, really funny connection because it's fucking Dracula. It's the one other time I can, I can remember that being done. But yeah, just same. Uh, I don't think it was the same actors, though. I think it, because he's shooting basically scene for scene, which mm-hmm. is a smarter way to do it. Right. Spanish Dracula, Mexican Dracula, I think they, they just brought in a Mexican crew at night and then used the same sets and just made the same movie in another language. Interesting. I think that's how that went. 
One of the other things that I think is so amazing about Herzog's Nosferatu, and we haven't done the original Nosferatu, obviously, maybe we eventually will. Who knows? Patreon.com forward slash double feature. But um, the fact that you can take, I mean, talk about the dubious nature of making another It movie. I mean, that's its own can of worms. But to essentially go... We're going to take the film that essentially created the horror genre in cinema. We're going to you know, do it again in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. It's so ballsy that I firmly believe it would have had a 100% chance for failure without the Herzog Kinski team. I don't think there is any because of and and here's why both of them are so fucking egotistical that they yeah, didn't for yeah. a second think that they couldn't do it. Well, there's both also of them have. I mean, the shoes that they have to fill. I mean, Werner Herzog yeah, goes, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I'm Murnau. I, I'm, I'm the I'm the Murnau of the 70s. Sure. And Klaus Kinski goes, yeah, I mean, you know, I I a little more attractive, but Max Schreck, you know, definitely within my wheelhouse. It's Rodriguez doing Escape from uh, New York, right? right. I mean, yeah, it's basically like this is why we got into making film. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll make that. We can, we can do mm-hmm. that. No big deal. Well, I also think you know I'm a dirty, terrible globalist, and I think unfortunately film has been ruined by that. Where so many other parts of culture are made better by it. Mm-hmm. An entire world without borders, communicating, sharing. Except Will Smith sells in China and so all movie star Will Smith forever. Right. And I just don't think in a film climate that exists, that is woven so intricately throughout the world now, you could greenlight a movie like Nosferatu the Vampire. You could right. go, let's go back and redo Nosferatu. Uh, people would probably start by saying, what the fuck is Nosferatu? Mm-hmm. But only in Germany would they go, ah, yes, the fine art of Nosferatu, mm-hmm. you know, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. That would be a project people would take on and get behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that seems like people really thinking about the art. I don't think anybody's commercially going, right. yeah, let's go back and redo Nosferatu. And it's, I think that in a lot of ways, it's the very opposite of it. Right. No, and that's very true. It is and the one that, that happens today, clearly. <laughs> It's so tricky too because Werner Herzog is so he pays so much homage and so much respect to the original source material that you'd think that something would be lacking because it was constantly trying not to overstep or to underperform but instead he really just nails the whole idea of modernizing a dated film. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, this movie's fucking old now. Nosferatu the Vampire is old as shit. Mm-hmm. Um, fucking, I mean, shit. It is old as shit. That came out a month ago. <laughs> we had a different health and human services secretary then. Fact. But to, to modernize a movie, and we've talked about this in other films, but to modernize a movie from the 20s and bring it in into the 19... I mean, they didn't have fucking sound I when know, they I made know. the original Nosferatu. Well, also think about where vampire movies have gone. I know. I mean, I know your favorite thing about Nosferatu is that there's sexy vampires and you love sexy vampires. Yeah, I'm into it. This is one of the sexy vampires. You I'll give you Herzog that. Herzog thinks this is a sexy vampire, right? Yeah. You know what's funny is Werner Herzog really does think this is a yeah. sexy vampire, yeah. though. 
You just tell by the fucking way he shoots this movie. He's just like, oh, sexy vampire. And only for him. But yeah, vampires totally went a different direction. Nosferatu is the fucking vampire movie we need. The one that that swings far out from the others and goes, no, no, but vampires are like giant fucking rats. And if you want to talk about the, the risks of damaging iconography, so we already talked about Bill Skarsgård's you know, okay, so everybody loves this role and it could define your career. So, you know, nail it would be cool. Nail it um, like Jared Leto. Nail it. <laughs> imagine being, again, ima- so first off, imagine you're not Klaus Kinski because Klaus Kinski's is a whole type of different maniac. But imagine just the idea of going so possibly the most definitive image of a vampire you're gonna play that also that guy couldn't speak so you have to actually literally add a dimension to the character without trampling the original performance right i mean to take a silent film and put it through the talkie machine well, don't still give them have too it. much credit. They didn't add a whole lot of color to the black and white film. So That's they true. were really only worrying about yeah. one plus one dimension at a time here. <laughs> well, and Nosferatu actually has other colors in it. Single solid Ooh. colors, gels. Ooh, but not, not, um, yeah, I think Nosferatu probably has a, a better movie barcode than Nosferatu the Vampire. If we're, yeah. we're, t- if yeah. we're taking inventory. Also, um, probably not gels. Probably jails no. on the films yeah like, right that's what i mean i don't yeah. even know how that god i <laughs> how did that even work i don't know yeah but this film doesn't it it just feels like such a strong it just it's just such a strong reiteration that's what i love about it is that you watch it and it's it's got the same overall gross one pale yeah. i mean you feel you feel the plague the whole time in this movie. Yeah. And that's something that I always remember the about rats. the original Nosferatu. Yeah. Man, it's like a fucking die outward video. It's just so amazing to watch. I mean, you know, you people know Werner Herzog. He's the bear guy, but just to watch him in <laughs> what is honestly his definitive element, which oh, is yeah. Oh, yeah. just taking the most risk. I mean, we've talked about him taking risks. We've talked about him literally pulling a boat over a mountain and that's a risky call, yeah. but the, I, the, this is a different kind of risk and it's the kind of risk that I don't think any other filmmaker would be willing to take. Well, he has a passion for this that goes beyond his usual sort of passion for the existential Mm-hmm. Usually his films look to me like he is consumed by wandering thoughts. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, I think it's the only Herzog movie I've seen where, you know, you can always tell he's a little fascinated by what he's doing. And it's sort of mm-hmm. like, there's a, there's a little bit of a humor to how fascinated he gets by these bleak things. Sure. But this is really something where I think, you know, five-year-old Werner Herzog was playing with Nosferatu action figures. You know what I mean? I can't stop thinking about the Rodriguez thing, actually. I just keep Mm -hmm. thinking about, like, he's a kid watching Nosferatu over and over, going to the IMAX every weekend. They have Mm -hmm. IMAX. Mm -hmm. Little known fact. IMAX was invented in 1921 for Nosferatu. Right. Someone put that on Wikipedia, please. (laughs) Cite our our website. Uh, And I can feel a little bit of that giddiness, but the way Warner Herzog being giddy comes out 
is very strange. Yes. It's very, it's still, I mean, it's still such That's, a bleak film. Everybody loses. Werner Herzog's giddiness is something we covered on the AC last month too. Remember? No, no. We covered his giddiness when we talked about um, Decalogue One. That was a little. Oh yeah, yeah. We dove into <laughs> yeah. Werner Herzog's global global worldview. Yeah, and his sense of humor. Right, right. Here the the theme is like, uh, don't let hot goth girls distract you all night, otherwise you'll burst into dust at sun. Actually, not even burst into dust. Right, right. just fall over. Just get sad. Yeah. Yeah, you just you just fall on the floor. It's such a macabre fucking movie. And then Van Helsing goes upstairs and he comes back down and they're like, uh, we're gonna arrest you, Van Helsing. You're How? Uh, Where are you gonna take me? Ah, you're, just, you're arrested. He's like, But I'm the hero of the film. And they're like, Yeah, but that's the Herzog but film. But also you so, committed yeah. a murder and you know, heroes always lose and you know, the only way the only way to preserve your life is to do nothing with it. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it's just uh you want to talk about that old gothic macabre stuff it's really so much of that has disappeared and rather than make something that just reeks of german expressionism which also you know i'm totally down with that's kind of shadow of a vampire mm-hmm. that's sort of like that was really whoa I, uh expressionism so cool and this is a lot more like whoa there's a, a lot of rats dirty Right. It's a lot of skulls with cobwebs and people reading poetry. You know, the fucking opening of this movie is just so down and fascinated with death and decay. And these parts of these kind of parts of like, uh, I don't know, traditional Gothic writing or classic. What I honestly, I remember reading a lot of that stuff in high school that when you'd read books like Dracula before PE class or whatever the fuck was going on back then. Mm -hmm. But I remember just, you know, you're reading about transporting earth and all these things that were not, you know, they were not meanwhile in the box office blade two is coming out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was just such a different thing that really wasn't being represented in cinema anymore, especially widely. I'm sure we could find it somewhere in the nineties but it wasn't the craft. Mm-hmm. It was already happening in the cinema and we were continuing down that trajectory. And for Herzog to preserve something like Nosferatu back in the seventies, man, just timestamp that thing. We have that Patreon that is patreon.com forward slash double feature. Do you want to tell people what's on there? Maybe we should just tell people what's on there. Okay. Yeah, we could. What's on there? There's a film that we made which I guess is called the double feature movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't, the title says double feature. Sure. It's a weird 30 minute adventure in the world of double feature. It's crazy. It's a thing that happened, which you have to keep in mind that while you're watching it, it actually happened. <laughs> right. I mean, not, it's a, not it's a factually, but it did happen. No one understands what Michael is saying, but if you go, we're going to give it to everybody on the Patreon. So go over to Patreon there's just a little little info about it. Mm-hmm. That's what's coming. It's happening this month. Everybody who is on Patreon this month will get the double feature movie. No additional cost. You just fucking watch it over and over. A hundred times watch this. If anybody watches it more than once, I would be so ecstatic. And if it's, if it's popular enough, we'll start orchestrating the IMAX screening to double down on the uh, opening weekend. Yeah. 
that will not be something that I anticipate yet. We'll see how the numbers uh, bear out on that. <laughs> but patreon.com forward slash double feature. We'll have more to say about it later because uh, we just got to get the fuck out of here. But it's, yeah. a, it's a cool thing that has taken literally years to make. And I'm <laughs> very happy it's done. Speaking of which, dispositionfilm.com, the other film that uh, has taken years to make. Yeah, I just have nothing else to say about that. I did a movie. It's playing in a theater near you, by which I mean in your state. Could be far away. I hope you don't live in a big state. Find out at dispositionfilm.com. You can sign up for that thing. Uh, I want to find out from you what we're doing next time here on Double Feature. Oh, the good news is that it's still October next week. So um, <laughs> what we're going to do... We're going to do some films about, uh, you know, the old man down the block. Um, we're going to do Don't Breathe, and we're going to do The Good Neighbor. And one of them ends the way you expect, and the other one ends the way you don't expect. But honestly, they both end the way you don't expect. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, watch more fucking film. That's right. And bye. Boo. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 